Hey, glad you're here today. What a great way to start the new year. In the house of God, worshiping God, committing afresh to Bible reading, making steps to get involved in the church, the Connect class, you know, letting the past go and stepping into the future. This is the time of the year, and I just want to commend you for being here, for being a part of what God's doing. You know, we do some neat things on Wednesday night as well. This Wednesday night, we have been started a series last week, four weeks long, by Pastor Robert Morris called The Secrets of Prayer, Drawing Near, Drawing Closer. And uh, I can't think of a better way to kind of engage, just carve out a little time on Wednesday nights. But we're really glad you're here. Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. Does anyone know who the shortest person in the Bible was? Nehemiah, you got it. All right. <laughs> Nehemiah, a really cool Old Testament book. It, I, I like a lot of the Old Testament because it's, it's not just history with information, but it's application that I can see what God did in a person's life and how God might do the same thing in my life. And uh, we're going to be looking at this. It's a new series called Rise Up. Can you say Rise Up? Rise up. And it's a series about significance for your life. There is, there is something that all of us share in common this morning. Everyone in this room wants their life to matter. We want our life to make a difference. I can guarantee you when your life is over, you do not want the preacher to stand up and say at your funeral, I have never met anyone that watched so much television as Joe. I'm telling you what, Joe was a television watching machine. You know, you don't want the preacher to say, boy, this guy could play the Xbox. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what new game was out. This person could flat do it. And here's their collection. We're going to put it in the coffin with them. <laughs> you will not want, now, you will not want the preacher to say, this girl could shop. I'm telling you, every sale that there was 50% or better, she was there. And, and we've got the proof in her closets. The bags are full of it. Now, now, look, shopping's great and all the things we're talking about kind of laughing at, nothing wrong with them. But if that's all your life is about, how I many know you're missing it? There's something more that a young person, an old person wants, someone middle-aged, we want our life to matter. You know, if, if you're in medical care, you probably got in medicine because you want to help people. I know I did that when I entered vocational ministry because I wanted to help more people get to heaven, populate heaven. I mean, more for God and less for people destroyed by the things of this world. But we all want our life to matter. Now, when you're in high school, significance is found maybe in, you know, the ball game and winning the district, district championship. And you get the big trophy, you remember the day, and holding the trophy in the air, and that was the glory days. And, and you get a little older, and you kind of grow out of that. And, and then significance, you think, is found in if I get a good high-paying job, and if I get the right house in the right neighborhood, then, then that's, that's life. That, that, that's significance. Well, as you got the house, after a little while, you realize it's just bricks and sticks. Now, it's nice bricks and sticks. But, but, but it's, just, it's just bricks and sticks, and something inside says there's got to be more to life. That's what I'm talking about, because significance is found, come on, in advancing God's kingdom, in reaching people for Christ, and helping people grow, making a difference in the spiritual lives of people. And that's what this series, Rise Up, is about. Uh, at my funeral, I hope I'm going to be like, I hope we'll share in this same goal, is that when it comes time in the, in the service for people to share remarks about you, I hope there is a long line of people wanting to get up and share about your life, the difference you made in their life for Christ. Amen. Listen, that's what matters. And that's what we're going to find in this guy named Nehemiah. He was a guy, Nehemiah was an ordinary person just like you and I. Actually, he was a slave in Persia. He was an Israelite. He was a Jewish person. They had been exiled, driven from their homeland for a period of 70 years because of the sins of the people. How I many know sin always gets you in trouble? Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. Come on, sin will always do more than you thought it would. It will leave you in a ditch. 
and, and it had messed the nation up. But here he is. He's a slave, and he's been promoted to be the king's cupbearer. So he's got a great job. Everything is going well for his life, but all of a sudden he hears some news that troubles him deeply. And this is where we're going to enter the story today, and, and, and Lord willing, the coming weeks we'll pick this up again. Nehemiah chapter 1, the first verse, the words of Nehemiah, and as we condense them just a little bit, verse 2, Hanani came with certain men from Judah. In other words, Hanani's friend came from the place of Jerusalem, the region of Judah, and that's where the Israelite people were kind of headquartered. That's where they lived. That was the land God lived, gave them. And just like today, you see the struggles in Israel, the issues over the Palestinian state, and all the issues over the land. Well, here's where it stems back to. God gave the Israelite people this, this land under the, uh, the covenant of Abraham, and that's what the struggle is about even today, thousands of years later. But notice, uh, he hears from his friend, and I asked him concerning the Jews who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. It's like this was number one in his mind. Even though he was a slave in a distant country, he still loved the people of God, he loved the house of God, he loved the city of God, and he made inquiry. And they said to me, the remnant or the leftovers, the people that are there, they're in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, in their day, they didn't have security officers like we do today. You know, they didn't have a, you know, a missile defense system. They had a wall that surrounded the city. So if people tried to come in and, and, and attack and destroy and take your children, the wall would provide a barrier of defense. Well, here you get this city. These are the people of God that are there, but their defenses are broken down. The people are discouraged and there's trouble. Now, I want you to notice the next verse because this is where we're going to focus this morning. When he heard these words, verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. In other words, he heard something that so impacted his life, he began to cry. He mourned for days, and notice this next phrase, I continued fasting and praying. Can you say that? Fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, we're going to explore his story over the coming weeks, just about 11 chapters, I think, or so in the book. But you're going to see God move this man from this place. God used him. He literally became the governor for a period of time. He was involved in rebuilding the walls and helping jumpstart the people. I want you to picture like a four-wheel drive vehicle. Now, now I've got a truck, but it's kind of just it's two-wheel drive. And several times lately, I have been in, in kind of a muddy spot. I went to visit uh, my family over Christmas and was, uh, was looking for a spot to duck hunt. And my son and I were riding across this levee. And uh, it had a little bit of gravel, but not much. And, and so we decided to explore as we went north. The little map supposedly told us it would go further. But it stopped and it was a dead end. And I realized we're in heap big trouble because there's no way to turn around. And I'm on this levee. It's probably 25, 30 feet up in the air. It's only wide enough for one vehicle. You can't turn around. So I had to back up. The only problem is it's muddy. And if you can imagine backing up a vehicle, you've got to go fast enough to get through the mud, and it's got turns in it, and I buckled my seatbelt. My son said, what are you doing? I said, <laughs> we fall off the edge here. Well, well, well how many know uh, trouble can be on the horizon? Well, Nehemiah heard what was going on, and God used this man in a big, big way. It's like four-wheel drive. If I'd have had four-wheel drive, all I would have had to do is hit a button, and those other wheels would have begun to turn and you wouldn't have to worry about slipping off the edge. It's like, a, it's like an impetus to move you beyond the problem. And that's what Nehemiah found. And he found it through something called prayer and fasting. And, and I want to speak a real 
kind of deliberate and serious message to you this, this morning because this is about a man that made a difference in a difficult day. You know, when I read the Bible, I don't just read for facts. I read different translations. You know, I used to read the New King or the King James Version as a boy, but I just got the these and the thous, they just kind of hung me, and I couldn't even understand what it was saying because I couldn't figure out what it meant. So, so, so I got a newer translation, but as I read the Bible, I, I don't just read it for facts. I try to find application in my world today. And Nehemiah is a great, great application. For example, Nehemiah saw a broken down wall. How does it make you feel if I told you that this week Planned Parenthood reported that they, that they did over 300,000 abortions this, this past year? How, how would that make you feel? How does, it, how does it make you feel if I, if I reminded you that this year our military repealed Don't Ask, Don't Tell? And now our military has become a social experiment rather than promoting this, the sanctity of marriage between a man and, wo- and a woman. How would it make you feel? H- how does it make you feel when, when uh, you can't put a manger scene on the courthouse or people in a community can't pray to their God, come on, as they, as they want to pray? that we're prohibited or we're threatened to be sued even in Bowie County for the very thing that the Supreme Court and the U.S. Congress does. Come on, Congress has a chaplain in case, duh, and that chaplain prays, but people will try to sue you. How does that make you feel when you hear about the condition of America? How does it make you feel when, when I remind you that one in two marriages end in divorce? Uh, how does it make you feel when we talk about the great, the, the, the great horror and the, and the difficulties that we face in a nation that's turning her back on God? Well, we can just ignore it or merely go on our way or perhaps we can open our heart and ask God to grip our heart, come on, by the things that trouble Him, by the brokenness in the world, by the brokenness of humanity, the brokenness of people around us, homeless people, come on, people that are dying with AIDS, people that are hungry, people that don't know how to get a job, people that are disabled and don't have anyone that loves them and cares about them. How many know it was the church's role, not the government's role, to provide care for people? But our world has kind of lost all that. Well, this is the world we live in. It gripped the heart of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah began to fast and pray. Now, I'm going to challenge you this morning with a message about prayer and fasting. And I want to speak to you this morning as a serious Christian. I'm not going to just try to uh, cut the corners this morning. I want to give you something, a, a message from the Bible that will challenge you to rise up a notch in this new year. God doesn't want you just hanging out on the pew. Come on, God doesn't want you to just kind of barely make it to heaven and everything is great. God wants to, you to engage the battle. It's like, how many, how many football fans in the room? Come on, let me see your hand just a second. Can, can you imagine now? We didn't pray for Dallas last week. I know we forgot something big, but, but I apologize. Well, how many know the game is different in the stands than it is on the field? When I was a boy, I loved sports so much it was almost an idol in my life. I mean, I just wasn't big enough to go to the next level, but I loved to play. I played a little college ball, but I remember when I was too old to play and, and, and you know, no more team to play on, and I got a little older, what it was like sitting in the stands. I wanted to be on that field so bad playing ball that I just quit going to games and quit watching them because I couldn't be where the action is. And I'm telling you, too many Christians live the Christian life in the stands watching others play the game. But God wants us to get out on the field. God wants us to get out of the stands, come on, and, and play ball again. But, but I want to tell you, to do that is not easy. You, you know, you look at those football players and, and they got muscles and you say, yeah, I'd like some muscles, pray for me that I'd have some muscles. That is not how you get muscles by somebody praying for you. You go down to the gym and you work and sweat. 
You know, well, how can they run so far and so fast for so long? Because they practice. Come on, and they run, and it's hard, and it's difficult. But I want to tell you, how many played ball know what I'm talking about? I mean, when you get in and you prepare yourself and you get ready and you play the game and then when you're going down the field, come on, and the fans are shouting and the cheerleaders are yelling and and everything is great and ESPN is following you, that's glory. But glory comes when you pay the price and work. Well, that's what I'm talking. That's the level I'm going to address you at today. I'm going to address you as someone who wants to be a player in the game of God, not someone who wants to just watch. Punch your neighbor and said, this could be a good message to play on our phones here. But it's a serious question. Do you want to be in the game or do you want to be watching the game? Because in just a few weeks, here's something I can guarantee you, the rhythms of your new year will be in place. But now is a time to come to another level. Let's begin to read this morning, Nehemiah, as we continue in the Scripture. Uh, Let me give you some background. I want to talk about a spiritual fast, what that is. What is a spiritual fast? What does the Bible have to say about it? How long did people fast in the Bible and, and why did they do it? Now, that'll be some background, but the most important thing of the message, I'm going to read seven scriptures to you very quickly, seven scriptures that will show you some things that can happen when you put the truck in four-wheel drive, when you take it to the next level, when you get serious about God and you're willing to pay a price and to sacrifice just a bit, like that football player that's running and, 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 and in the gym. Let's start with Matthew chapter 9. How many can believe that Jesus has something to say about everything in life? And that's our starting place as New Testament believers. What is a spiritual fast? Now, how many know there are, there's fasts and there's a spiritual fast? If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, which I hope you get an annual physical every year, and the doctor says, we want to do some blood work, but you need to be fasting so we can get you know, the, norm, the levels on the cholesterol. Well, basically what he's saying is, I don't want you eating anything until after they, the vampires got a hold of you. I mean, I want you to just kind of hang loose a little bit so you want it to be as early in the morning as possible. Because this very thing that we need for life to sustain ourselves, food, there's periodic times where God says, I want you to push the plate away and I want you to draw near to me. Now, here's what Jesus said. Matthew 9, 14, John's disciples came to him and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom? Now, he's going to basically say that my followers are like the bride and I'm the bridegroom. So Jesus is on the earth, and he said, how can the guests of the bridegroom, these disciples, how can they mourn or be humbled or, or kind of be kind of downcast? How can this happen while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then what's it say? So Jesus Christ said almost just this kind of easy flowing. He said, then they're going to fast. In other words, then they're going to begin to set themselves apart to me in a special way. Now, let me tell you what fasting means. Fasting is a time to abstain from food or pleasure. Everybody say food or pleasure. And draw closer to God in prayer. Now, that's a, that's a weighty definition because, listen, fasting is more than not eating. If you just think of fasting is not eating, you're going to lose weight. And losing weight may not be a bad thing. Come on. But fasting is more than that. When you deny yourself of food for a season or some pleasure, what you're going to see in the Bible is fasting is not just food. Fasting can be from pleasurable activities. But you don't do it just as a a religious uh, commandment. You do it because it's a vehicle to draw closer to God. It's a way to get out of the stands, to get on the field, to play the game. It's a way that you can push that button to put that vehicle in four-wheel drive so you can get out of the mud in life. Well, that's, uh, for example, yesterday morning, I got up and I went hunting yesterday morning. 
And uh, I, it, I was early. I mean, it was 4.30. I'm in the truck going to see a friend, and, and, and I, there was a podcast I wanted to listen to. I, I like a lot of conservative talk radio, and, 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 and I'd recorded one, and I wanted to listen to it because I just enjoy it. No spiritual value whatsoever, but I just enjoy listening to the guy talk about what's going on. And, and, and as I started to put my headphones on, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I want you to pray with pray to me. Just pray for the next 20 minutes. So I had a choice. I could listen to the guy, and, and it was a pleasurable thing, or I could deny myself something. And in that time of denial, I could draw closer to God. Well, you know what? That's what I did. So I fasted 20 minutes. See, sometimes we think of fasting, we think of 40 days or 7 days. No, there can be segments of life where we simply draw aside from the things that are pleasurable, from food, whatever the case may be for a season, and we give that time to God and draw closer to God. Now, some neat things happen, but here's kind of a further definition. Fasting, it's denying yourself and centering your life on God and His priorities. Fasting can be a time of of weaning away, uh, of, of changing. When I was a boy, I was raised on a farm, and, and we had a dairy. And, and the little calves, when they were born, they would get their nourishment from their mother as they would drink the, drink the mother's milk. But after a while, you know, you wanted the cow to be a milk cow where you could, you know, get the money, but those calves would still have to be fed. So we would wean the calf from the mother, and we would, you know, we would feed it with a bucket and put some stuff in it, and, and, and that would become the, the, the calf's new source of nourishment. Well, sometimes we need to wean ourselves from the things of the world. How many know sometimes the world has a great, great hook in us? Do you find yourself that maybe you cannot, you can you always have to have some noise playing in the background? I mean, you get up in the morning, you have to turn the TV on. Uh, you're in the car, the radio has to be on, music has to be on, earphones, something, ha- something has to be happening. Well, you may be too consumed with your technology, come on, and God may want to wean you from some of that. I didn't say throw it all away, I just said from some of that and make a little spot for God to be able to come in your life in a deeper way. Because God may want to reorient your life. Mind you now, I'm talking a deliberate message to serious people this morning because you could be like Nehemiah. The nation was in trouble. It desperately needed help. And he was the man that God would use to turn things around. But it started with a season of fasting and prayer. Everybody say fasting and prayer. Now, fasting is not just missing meals. If all you do is, is miss a lunch or something, you've not fasted. Listen, fasting, fa- and, and, and let me say this. It is hard to, for me to fast from 9 to 12. It's hard to fast from 1 to 5. Okay, in case you're, let me try that again. I normally eat before 9, and, I, and it's hard for me to fast after I eat. I, I, I'm the kind of guy I want to go to lunch, and I want to come back to the office and, and, and grab something. So it's hard enough to say no, you know, especially a Twinkie at night. Now, I'm not saying get rid of Twinkies, but I'm just saying it's hard to tell yourself no. It is hard to turn off the podcast, but what I'm going to challenge you to do this month, I'm going to challenge you in the month of January, these next three weeks, to open your life to some windows of time where you might fast and seek God at a deeper level. Mind you now, we started talking about significance and making a difference with your life. And I'm telling you, what I'm sharing with you right now is a door into a deeper spiritual life. And what you may do is you may, of course, there's a little insert in your bulletin. It's got some keys in there. We've got more information in the lobby. But what you may want to do is something as simple as taking your lunch break, coming to church. Give us a holler. Tell us you're coming. But just coming to the church and fasting a lunchtime and praying in the sanctuary. It may be as simple as getting up early in the morning. I'm going to take some early mornings and come. There'll be people in here. Just come through that door and bang on it. 
that'll, that'll be here and praying Monday through Friday just to give God a little bit extra and then go to work. Because what it will do is it will move you out of the stands, come on, onto the playing field. And what you've got to decide, and only you, do I want to be a spectator in God's, in God's army or do I want to be someone on the front lines? This is a door that God would open. Fasting is not a religious duty. It's not some rule. I have a lot of friends that were Catholics. And what's the fasting day for Catholics? Yeah, Friday. And what do they say? Oh, no what? No meat on Friday, but I can eat fish. Most of my friends were just obeying a rule. Come on. And it wasn't a vehicle to draw closer to God. It was an empty religious tradition. Now, I'm sure it started well, but it ended up as a tradition. I'm not talking about tradition. I'm talking about you trying to go deeper in your spiritual life. I'm talking about you trying to be the person God created you to be. I'm talking about you finding God's will for your life and going on to it in a great fashion. Now, let me, uh, let me give you just a little further. There's three types of fasts in the Bible. Real quickly, a normal fast, an absolute fast, and a partial fast. A normal fast, you see, which is typically the abstaining from food for a period of time. Now, Jesus showed us this, and unlike anything I've ever done, Jesus fasted 40 days, and it says then he was hungry, which means he drank, you know, he drank liquids during his time. That's a normal fast, is not eating food. An absolute fast, though, is food and water for a short period of time. The Apostle Paul, remember when he was knocked off his horse? His name was Saul. He was blinded by God to get his attention. Now, mind you, he was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. He was a deeply committed religious person. He fasted for three days, Acts 9.9 says. Day and night he ate no food and he drank no water. But Daniel chapter 10, and I want you to kind of circle this one, write this one down. A partial fast, this is what most of us will do. Daniel chapter 10 verse 2, When the vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. Here's what he's saying. God spoke something to him. And he didn't know what to do about it, but he was just overcome with some grief, mourning, remorse, just like Nehemiah was. It lasted three weeks, but notice what he said he did while he was waiting on God. Mind you, Nehemiah, when he first heard the thing to the time he actually went, four months. Four months of preparation. But here, uh, Daniel, for three weeks, Daniel, it says in verse 3, at that time I had eaten, say it with me, no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions. Now, what does that mean? That simply means is that he still ate, but he restricted his diet, and he restricted the pleasure in his life. The lotions were a picture of, of some pleasurable, enjoyable experience. Now, listen, pleasure is not a bad thing, but if pleasure controls your life, how many know God should control our life? How many of our appetites should not just be driven by pleasure, but our appetites should be driven towards God? Well, and what Daniel did is Daniel, for a period of time, he cut out some things in his life. This is called a Daniel fast. And this is what a lot of people will do. In the Bible, you'll see sometimes people fasted for a day. You'll find that uh, uh, King Darius fasted during the night. Here's what happened. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, and the Bible said he didn't eat anything. He didn't have entertainment that night. So here, his friend is in the lion's den. He hopes he's going to be alive. So he puts his life in four-wheel drive for a moment. And during the night, he draws near to God. Well, guess what? Next night, he resumed his normal activities, but he drew near to God in a special way. There were times in the book of Esther, you know her story, that Haman was going to destroy and kill all the Jewish people, but God had put her in position as the queen. Remember, for such a time as this? And you know what she did? She said, I'll go and talk to the king, but for three days and three nights, I want everybody to fast with me. 
and they fasted and guess what God did? God turned around the enemy's plan, which Satan intended for evil. Come on, God turned it around for good. But they all put it in four-wheel drive for three days and three nights and then God broke through. So you'll see these things in the Bible, different times, different lengths, fasting, different foods, fasting pleasure. But the bottom line, that we open a door for God, that we can go deeper in our life in 2012. That's what we're talking about this morning, is getting off, the, off out of the stands and onto the field. Now, let me give you seven things. I'm going to do them quickly, seven different scriptures, but the benefits that come in our lives when we go on a spiritual fast. When we're very deliberate about it. I mean, no, fasting is not forgetting to go into the grocery store and you don't have any food, so you go home and tell the kids, we're going to fast tonight. That's not fast. Fast is a deliberate spiritual activity when there's, you know, when you've got money in your pocket and there's food in the fridge, but you, and not forcing on your kids, but you, come on, set yourself apart to God to hear from the Lord. Let me give you seven things, and if you miss some of them, they'll be on our webpage in a couple days. Of course, if you've got a smartphone, an Android, or an iPhone, it'll download in a couple days, and you can look at it there as well, or listen to it, or read the notes. Acts 14, and here's one that will help everybody in this room. Fasting help us find God's will when we make important decisions. Fasting will help you know God's will when you make an important decision. Now, how many know an important decision is something like, I'm getting married? Big deal. Uh, I'm quitting my job and I'm starting another job. Big deal. I'm moving. Big deal. I'm going to borrow a lot of money. How many know you need to know what God wants you to do in the midst of when that's going on? You need to know what God's will is. Well, look with me. Acts 14, verse 23. Paul and Barnabas are, are, are starting churches all over the Mediterranean world. And then it says they chose elders for each church by... Say it with me. So once they started the church, could you agree with me that the most important thing to do next was to get the right leaders in place? Well, the wrong leader of the church would have gone down. And they didn't just take a poll. They didn't just take a vote. They didn't see who had gone to Bible college. They didn't see who had the most money or who was politically connected. What they did is they fasted and prayed for this big decision, and God led them in it. Now, here's another one, Ezra chapter 8. Fasting is a way to call on God in times of danger, trouble, or emergency. I don't know why that happened. Okay, we'll fast for the electric payment this month, I guess. Maybe. All right. Fasting is a time to call on God, danger, trouble, or an emergency. Now, I pray you don't have a problem in 2012. I mean, let me put a big smile on my side. I pray you don't have one. But in case you do, can I tell you how to push the button for four-wheel drive? Listen to Ezra, an Old Testament passage. He's traveling from Persia to Jerusalem just like Nehemiah, notice verse 21, there by the Ahava Canal, I gave orders for all of us to do what? Say it again. To fast and to humble ourselves before God. Humbling yourself, and that's kind of what, see, food gives you energy, it gives you life, you keep going, but when you don't have food, you kind of shrivel just a little bit. And when you shrivel just a little bit, you trust in God more. You're weaning your emotions. But notice what happens. We humble ourselves before God, which simply is a way of saying this. Lord, we may be smart. We may have money. We may have swords. But we can't protect ourselves. You can. And fasting is a way to say that. We prayed that God would give us a safe journey, protect us, our kids, and our goods as we travel. Verse 23, so we fasted and earnestly prayed that God would take care of us, and He heard our prayer. What would you do if you went to the doctor 
and the doctor told you that, you know, one of your numbers was way off. You needed to come right back. He was concerned. What would you do if you got a call that one of your children were in a car accident? You know, you're in Texarkana, and it's, you know, it's dinner time, and, and, and you're getting ready to eat at the house or whatever, and they're in Dallas or they're in Memphis, and they, don't, they didn't have any details. All you know, your kid's been in a car accident, and he's in the ambulance going to the hospital. What are you going to do on the way there? Are you going to find the coolest country rock and roll station, come on on your way, and, and kind of have fun and, 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 start and say, wait, well, we're going to get a to-go order from out back, you know, and, and, and before we go, No. You'd get in that car, you'd say, we're not going to eat, we're going to fast and pray, we're going to seek God all the way, and we're going to believe God that God's going to protect our family. Well, that is exactly what happened, fasting and praying, and God protected them. Acts 13, here's the third one, and again, these are quick for time's sake, but I want you to see the breadth of issues that can be addressed when you get serious in your Christian life. Acts 13, fasting creates a spiritual environment that's conducive to hear God's voice. Now, this is big because this is application today. New Testament, Paul is, is about to begin his ministry to the Gentiles. Now, that may not sound like much to you, but can I tell you, you're a Christian today in America because of what happened in the Bible in Acts 13. This is where God started Paul's ministry. There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and... See, when we say we're going to go worship, we think that we clap our hands, you know, we lift our hands, blah, blah, you know, we, we do these things. But they combine fasting as a form of worship. And then, and it's interesting, the Holy Spirit said. Now, how did he do that? Was a voice come out of the air? No. He spoke to one of the prophets of verse 1. And he said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, which would become Paul, for the work to which I have called them. And verse 3 said, after fasting and praying, it seems like they prayed some more for confirmation, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. What does that mean? The way hearing God's voice happens easier with greater clarity when we are seeking God at a deeper level. And that's what we're talking about. Out of the stands, onto the playing field. And can I tell you, much of the New Testament was written by Paul the Apostle. The entire Gentile ministry, the three missions journeys, were because this man heard a word from God when they were there fasting and praying. Here's another one, 1 Corinthians 9. Fasting brings our flesh under submission to our spirit and our spirit in submission to God. How many know we've got a, a tug-of-war going on? Let me illustrate this to you. You have declared your New Year's resolution. I shall go on a diet. I'm going to lose some pounds. And let's say you happen to go to a restaurant. Maybe you go to, to Bryce's or some cafeteria. And, and the first thing you see is the salad. But the second thing you see is... And you're on a fast. And the line is long. And you're inching along. And this piece of banana cream cake begins to move on that counter. And you see that Cairo pecan with extra calories. All those little pecans are standing at attention going, Take me, take me, take me. And you say no. But all of a sudden, death by chocolate. And you start negotiating with God. Lord, if I split this with my wife. Lord, I won't get the biggest piece of one cake. I'll get the smallest one on the counter. And before you know it, now how is that any different? You're sitting in front of your computer 
And statistics tell us 65% of Americans, and when the images pop up, click here, tell me hello, I'll talk to you. What's the difference? Your soul, your appetites, your desires pulling you. What you want to do is be spiritually strong enough to say, get behind me. You want to be spiritually strong enough to say, take that, just go up to the counter and shove it on the floor and pay for it at the counter. How does that come? Fasting, friends. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, Paul said, I discipline myself. Lest after having preached to others, I become disqualified. I'm telling you, if you can learn to say no to one meal, friend, come on, one chicken sandwich, you may well be able to say no to the little dancing girl on the computer. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Fasting has spiritual value to it. Let me go quick. Mark chapter 9, verse 28. Fasting in prayer can defeat Satan's strongholds in your life. Mark chapter 9, questionable in some translations about this being a, a, part, of the, a, a part of the text, but it, it's there in all of them, in the notes or the, or, or the page. Here's what it says. The disciples couldn't help a demon-possessed boy. Jesus comes to the house, and disciples said, Why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus said to them, This kind comes out only by... So what God is saying is sometimes you're stuck in the mud and you need four-wheel drive to get out. And if there's a spiritual stronghold at work in you, someone you love, someone you care about, maybe in your time of fasting, you're praying for God to break that. Let me wrap this up quickly. Isaiah 58, and here's a big one. Fasting is a time to change the way we treat people. Let me say it again. It's a way to change the time we, way we treat people because fasting is not just missing a meal. Now listen to this. It's about priorities. Verse 3, Jesus now is basically, or, or Isaiah rather, is talking to uh, God's people that are acting as hypocrites. It's empty ritual. They said, why do we fast and you don't look our way? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. Isn't that interesting? When we talked about abstaining from food and God's talking about the way we treat people. You fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. You swing a mean fist. That kind of fasting won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think... That's the kind of fast day I'm after? No. A day to show off your humility. In other words, to tell people, Oh, I'm fasting today. Please pray for me. No. Don't put on a pie's long face and parade around solemnly in black clothing. That's not a day of fasting. And then it says, What is a fast day that I would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. And, G and Scripture says, Break the chains of injustice. In other words, when you see people being treated wrongly or unfairly, step in and defend them. Uh, uh, he goes on to say, get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. If you choose to do this with me this month, you might get one of those little Haiti cans that we send food to poor kids. And rather than taking your 10 bucks or 8 bucks or 6 bucks for lunch, put it in and give it to, give it to a, a poor person. Invite the homeless in your home. Put clothes on those that are shivering. Be available to your own family. Do this and your lives will turn around at once and then you'll pray and God will answer. Well, I wish I had time to go into that deeper. But that whole chapter is about, listen, Christianity, the godly life is not just about rules. Come on. It's about drawing closer to God and living God's way. And as we draw closer to God, how many know we're going to treat people better? Because didn't Jesus say the second great commandment was to love the Lord? Say it with me. With all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Let me close with this last scripture. Luke chapter 2. 
Fasting is a way to know God in a deeper way. Now think about this. There was a prophetess, her name was Anna, well advanced in years, 84 years of age. Now notice what it said. This woman is recorded in the scripture as someone who ministered to Jesus and his family. And when he was a baby, she didn't depart from the temple. But would you say this with me? Worshiping with fasting and prayer. And then what's it say? Night and day. Now, what does that mean to fast during the night? I think it meant that she fasted from sleep a little bit. Come on. And she went to the house of God and she drew near to God. Now, listen, 84 years of age, you have forgotten. Come on. I'm at all the trophies. 84 years of age. It's not the big fancy house. 84 years of age, it's not kind of what kind of car you drove. 84 years of age is, I'm about to leave this life and step into eternity. I'm ready to start getting close to my maker today. Come on. I'm not going to put it off. I'm going to get close to him today. And the way she stepped into it was this thing called fasting and prayer. Well, listen, I'm done. Some of you may be wiping your brow and say, I should come next week. That's your choice. You can stay in the stands or you can get on the playing field. And 2012 is a time to make that step. All right, listen, let me close. Let me ask you this question. What did you hear me say today? Are you going to go out for lunch? You're going to eat somewhere and, and, and you're going to talk about church or somebody will Facebook you. What, was, what, what did the preacher talk about church today? You'll say, oh, that preacher just said I couldn't eat as much in January. <laughs> you totally missed it. Totally. Go back and get the notes. But if you said, you know what? That preacher opened his Bible and for about 35, 40 minutes, gave us about a dozen scriptures about a way to draw closer to God as I start the new year and find significance. Because he told me God wanted to make a difference in my life, and I believe it. And the way to do it is to engage in God at a deeper level, to getting out of the stands and getting on the playing field. And you know what? That's what I'm going to do. That's what I wanted to communicate with you today. That's what I want to share. I want you to share that with a friend this week, too. Hey, this whole morning was good. I mean, just the worship. Just Don't you just feel better just being here? Do you just feel cleaner? Feel like you've engaged God and, and, and have some freshness in your life? There's, there's a lot of people that need this very thing. And we've got three weekend services. I'm going to give you one little card to take at the end. I don't want you to just lay this on some table somewhere. But I want you to think of a person that needs some freshness in their spiritual life. I guarantee you, you know somebody that needs to, to get focused on life, of something that really matters. You know somebody that needs to be engaging God. I want you to just take one of these at the end from the ushers in the back there and figure out who that one person may be because you may be the significant one in their life. 35 years ago or so, 30, 35 years ago, a Gideon, when I left home and joined the Navy, a Gideon did a significant thing and he probably had no idea when he got up to talk to a hundred or so guys going in the military. And all these, you know, long-haired, I mean, it was a pretty, pretty sad room. But he gave me a Bible. And that Bible introduced me to God and it changed my life. Can I tell you, there's no one in my life more significant than that man that doesn't even know me. And you may be that person that God would use in a special way to help and touch someone in this new year. That's what Nehemiah did. When Nehemiah offered himself to God, he was a man who changed the nation. When he changed the nation, the world was changed. You could be that modern-day Nehemiah. So I want to encourage you to join me this month of January and find some time to draw near to God in fasting and prayer. Find some time not just to miss a meal or not just to miss a podcast, but to pray to God a little more deliberately, to get a little bit closer.
to offer yourself, come on, to the one who can truly give you a life worth living. Give the Lord a good hand today. I'm done. We're going to close with a little prayer today. I didn't labor on this point, but I want to just kind of throw it out to think about. You remember that first verse we read, verse 4, I think it was, in, in Nehemiah chapter 1. And it said, when Nehemiah heard this troubling news, the Bible says he wept and mourned. You know, it was four months between the time he heard it to the time he actually went to his boss to ask permission to go and do it. But when he heard it, it so impacted his heart that it compelled him to pray and fast. Can I tell you, I don't have a heart like that. I'm kind of ashamed to say it. You know that little movie last, time, last week I preached about Secretariat, Little Horse? I'm telling you, I was crying every, every time I saw that movie when that horse was coming around that last link. And they were playing on my emotions. I want my heart to be that tender towards what I see in the world around me. I don't want to just see human suffering and pain. I don't want to just see homeless people. I don't want to just see a, a kid in the hall at church that needs a mother, come on, that needs a grandfather, that needs a grandmother. I don't want to just see it and walk by him. I want God to soften my heart so that I weep for the things that he weeps over. That my heart breaks for what God heart God break for. You know, I heard something several months ago that, 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 that impacted me deeply. You, you know me, I believe that people are created in the image of God and all life is sacred to God. I believe that from birth or, or before birth in the womb to the latter stages of life when there's no human productivity, whatever, people are valuable because they're created in the image of God. But I read this week about a woman that's on a crusade. She's written a letter to the SEC about PepsiCo Corporation, people that make Pepsi and Mountain Dew and Tropicana and Lipton. It's because her research revealed that they were had hired a company to do some research for them to how to make their soft drinks taste better. What they would do is this company would research, they would take aborted fetuses and they would somehow extract the kidney cells and they would try to determine through these kidney cells what would enhance the flavor of the drink. Now, can you imagine how what was supposed to be safe, legal, and rare turned into an opportunity to make soft drinks more palatable for you and I so somebody could make some money? That's the world we live in in America. It's out there. And I don't want to just go, oh, bad, or just throw a shoe at the television when I hear him talking. I want my heart to be gripped. And I want God to be able to use me to make a difference. Whether it's something far away like that or it's a little kid that I see in the hallway at church that I know needs some guidance and help. I want to be someone who says yes to God. If you'd like to join me in this prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand. But if you simply want to say, Lord Jesus, would you give me that kind of heart? Would you give me a heart that breaks over the things that break your heart? Would you help me, Lord, weep over what causes you to weep? Would you help me see things, Lord, the way that you see them? You might even just kind of put your hands out in front of you just a little bit like that of saying, Lord, give me this heart. I don't want to be, have a heart that just gets excited at a movie or a ball game. I, I, I want to have a heart that's moved by the things that move my Father in heaven. And I don't know how to do this on my own, but I just pray that you would soften my heart and that you would make me into the person you want me to be. And I'm going to just give you my life afresh this year, Lord. And before my routines start, I want to go a little deeper this new year. I want to get out of the stands and get on the game of life because I want my life to make a difference. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name.
Anybody see? Amen. Hey, it's a good morning, wasn't it? Good morning. We're glad you came. Let's close with this prayer. This one last prayer this morning. You know, as I'm talking to you today, this could have been, you may be thinking, preacher, that's pretty heavy this morning. What I need, though, more than anything, is I just need to get right with God. I just need to, I need to get on God's side. I need to give my heart to God. I need to give Him my life. I, I need to get forgiveness. I need to get back on track. I want to become the person He wants me to be. Maybe you're here today, and there's something in your heart that just draws you to God. You're like I was as a young boy, the first time I heard somebody talk to me like this, that God could change your life if you just give it to Him. If you just offer God your life and be willing to let the things of the world go and put your life in His hands, God could give you a life worth living. And I did that on August 15, 1976. I asked for God's forgiveness. I asked Him that He give me eternal life. But I told Him I wanted to follow Him and put my life in His hands. And I tell you, friend, He did it for me and He can do it for you. So if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I want to get right with God. I want you to pray for me. I want to get saved. I need to get born again. I need to get back on track with God. Whether it's the first time or you've gotten away and you want to come back, you want to make that step to Christ today, we'd be honored to pray for you. If that's you this morning, you say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to get right with God. Lift your hand real quickly. Do it quickly. I'm out of time today. I want to get right with God today. God bless you over here, sir. God bless you too. And God bless you. God bless you, dear. God bless the two of you in the back. Come on, lift your hand if I hadn't seen you. I want to get right with God. And you, God bless you. And you, God bless you too, buddy. I want to get right with God today. God bless you too, dear. Somebody else today. I want to get right with God. Pray for me. I don't want to leave this church until I put my trust in Christ. God bless you. Come on. God bless you too, pal. I see your hand. I see your hand. Best step you'll ever make in your life is a step you make to God. Let me just invite you, if you're here, you listen. We're, our prayer team is going to come one last time. You that lifted your hand, just come on up. We're going to talk to you right here about putting your trust in Christ and what the next step is, and somebody's going to pray for you. We're going to give you a book, some free literature. It'll help you make your step to Christ. And if you need prayer for anything else, you come on up and we'll pray for you. They're going to sing the song through one time, and we'll dismiss. And if you're new, come join me for our guest reception right across the hall. I'd like to share something with you. Prayer team's coming right now. And you that lifted your hands to get right with God, come on up here and let us pray with you. Give them another big hand today. Come on, you that lifted your hands to get right with Christ. Come, let us pray for you. We want to give you something. We want somebody to seal this with you, this decision that you're making today. Come on up, let us pray for you. Let's pray for you today. God bless you. Just sing it through one time, Pastor Nick. Let us pray for you. Getting right with God. I want to give you something.